You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Holy Spirit, the one who dwells in us, would you help us today receive the word that you have for us? Would you take this time, this text, and use it as kindling to burn within us so that we can draw closer to you, so that we can feel your love and your joy and your peace within our life? And if there's anything you need to convict or challenge us about, may this be a time for that as well. But ultimately, help us to be present. There's a lot going on, but we want to be here. We're here anyways. Help us to be here by your Holy Spirit. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We just did eight weeks of walking through parables, the parables of Jesus in the the Gospel of Luke. And uh, it's summertime, so I'm going to keep that going. We're going to walk through another book, the book of Colossians. And as I was studying and preparing, and as I've read Colossians many times, just four small chapters, but it's power-packed, four chapters power-packed with nothing but Jesus. And so I just see over and over again Paul talking about how Jesus is greater than all the temptations, our past, our trials, our present circumstances, literally anything we could conceive of. He wants to remind us over and over again that Jesus is greater than all those things. So we're going to go with that theme through the book of Colossians, and that's going to lead us up until the church birthday, which is the first week of October. So Colossians, let's hang out there. Jesus is greater than. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them at any time. I have a device here that receives text. That phone number is in your bulletin. It's going to be on the screen almost every single slide. Try to make this as much of a dialogue as possible instead of me just talking at you for 30 minutes. If you have questions, if something's burning within you, send it. We would love to receive it. And if there's time at the end, we'll try to go over it. Here's what I want you to know about Colossians. The Bible is one single book, but inside it are many different books. And most of those are letters, especially in the New Testament. New Testament begins when Jesus is born, essentially Christmas time. And that's the last third of your Bible. And a lot of those parts of the Bible are, are letters. And so when you see names like Ephesians or Colossians or Philippians, it's because a guy named Paul, St. Paul, one of the most important earliest figures in Christianity, were writing letters to churches. And so there was a church in a city named Colossae, and so he wants to write a letter to the church, the Colossians, and that's what he does. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of seminary for you, just so we can all kind of get on the same page. Paul's, the fancy word is Paul's letters are occasional. Doesn't mean that they're sparse or they come irregular times. It means he's writing because there's something to write about. He's not just writing theology. He's not just trying to help us grow smarter. He's writing because there's a problem in the church. He's mostly writing almost every single one of his letters because there's problems in the church, which already should tell you, right? Church is hard. And most of our Bible, most of our New Testament is comprised of letters trying to address problems in the church because it was hard for them to. And so he's writing because there's an occasion to write to and there's a problem creeping up in the church and he wants to address that problem. And in Colossians and in many other books, it's usually that there's a bad teacher or two roaming around the church 
creeping in bad ideas to try to, people get, to try to get people off track from Jesus. This particular church has a philosophy that's growing within it. And it says this, if you want to go to heaven, you need some secret information and you got to have a strict diet. So I'm already out. I mean, I got some information. I'm not on board with this diet part. And that's how you get blessed and protected and you, you get to go to heaven, according to this teaching. That, that not everybody, you have, to, you have to work really hard to attain some secret information. If you want to know the seminary heresy, this is called Gnosticism, that there's some secret information that only specific people have and, and you got to get it from them. And, and you got to have a strict diet because your body is bad. That's what they're teaching. That's not what we believe. But your body is bad and fleshly things and physical things are bad and you need to just be super spiritual. And we don't believe that. We don't believe that because God created creation and he called it good and very good, created your bodies and put his image in it and called it good and very good. But there will be people that tell you your flesh is bad and so you've got to beat it up usually by strict diet. And if you want God's blessing and protection, this false teaching says you need the secret info. You need these leaders, usually these abusive, toxic leaders that say you can't do it without me and you need to follow this super strict diet probably to make you tired so you can't get away from them and think straight. If you want a fancy seminary word, it, they sometimes scholars call it the transcendental ascetic philosophy. Transcendental, you need to be super spiritual. Don't worry about your flesh. Ascetic, you need to beat yourself up so that you can get there. Philosophy, you know that. Sometimes it's just called the Colossian problem. This is what's going on in this church. This is the struggle that they're facing and we have it too. We have this idea too that sometimes there's just some secret information out there that we just don't know and we need it and somebody has it and we have to find it. And so we spend a lot of time looking for it. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about parenting and she just kept saying, there's no book. There's no book on how to parent. But wouldn't it be great if there was? Wouldn't it be great, you parents, if somebody was like, I have a book. And I could tell you how to do it. I'd probably give that guy some money. Maybe, maybe stop eating carbs. If he was like, you got to stop eating carbs. I'd be like, gosh, okay. Or um, we struggle with the answers to life. You know, there's new technology out. We call it AI, right? Chat GPT. What's wild is that it can be a helpful tool for things like math or learning how to code or stuff that's you know, black and white factual, but people start asking it questions like, is there a God? How do I get my family to love me? There's ways in which we're just out there looking for some secret information because life's hard, and it would be helpful if we can get a leg up on this by getting some information from somebody else besides just whatever it is we're going through. So they're dealing with a lot of the same problems we are. Life's hard. They'd love some information about how to get through, some knowledge, some secret knowledge that it feels like nobody else has. This is every commercial at 2 a.m., right, that's trying to sell you something. They're like, if you just had our thing, your life would be so much easier. And it's 2 o'clock and you're tired and you're like, maybe I do need a juicer. And you're like, just going to take up space on your counter. Those of you who juice, good for you. But me... Juicer's not going to fix all my problems. You know what I mean? Like, 
So this is what they're going through. We do the same thing in different ways. We do the same thing. And today, I think Paul wants to talk about how Jesus is greater than our present problems. Because it's really our problems that sometimes undermine our faith in Jesus in a way that causes us to look elsewhere for knowledge or wisdom or power or patience to make it through our present problems. Sometimes we get crisis mode, and so then we want to find something to help us, sometimes something other than Jesus. And Paul wants to remind us that Jesus has got us. Jesus has us. So that's the good news for today. It's from the book of Colossians 1 through, what, chapter 1, 1 through 15. If you've got scriptures you want to read it with me, I'm going to read it from the book right in front of you, all the way near the end, page 899. I'm going to get after it. He opens up a letter like we would. He just says, hello. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and also with Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in the city of Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And then usually letters jump into a time of saying how grateful they are for the recipient and that they're praying for them, and Paul's going to do that too. But he also gives us a summary of what this letter is about. Here's what he says. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We've done this since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Faith in God, love for God's people. These are the reasons why Paul gives thanks. You have this faith and love because of the hope that is reserved in, for you in heaven. You previously heard about this hope through the true message, the gospel, the good news, which has come to you. This message has been bearing fruit and growing among you since the day that you heard and truly understood God's grace in the same way that it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. Right? He says the thing that's happening in the whole world is happening in you. Jesus is doing something everywhere. You learned it from a guy named Epaphras, who is a fellow slave that we love and Christ's faithful minister for your sake. He informed us of your love in the Spirit. He's going to target down now, get more specific. Because of this, since the day that we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with knowledge of God's will, with wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him in every way. And here's where I'm going to pull my sermon from. It's bold on the screen, but right here, this line, by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened through his glorious might so that you endure everything and have patience, and by giving thanks with joy to the Father. He made it so that you could take part in the inheritance in light granted to God's holy people. Two more verses. He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. The word of God for the people of God today. So he ends by saying, I know you're going through some stuff, but remember Jesus already brought you out of control of darkness and set you free from your sins by Jesus. Whatever you're going through now can't be as bad as it was and if Jesus did that for you, how much more is he going to do amazing things for you? And as always in this church, I preach three points by asking the same three questions of every text I read. What does God want us to know with our head, feel with our heart, do with our hands? 
Head, heart, hands, something to know, feel, and do. And this one's easy because he's mentioned the word knowledge 25 times. So if you can't find head stuff in this passage, you weren't reading very carefully. But what does God want us to know? What does God want us to know? I think we get this, but bears repeating. You don't know God until you live God. See, in our world, we conflate knowledge with information. But in Paul's time, when he uses the word knowledge, he means something more akin to wisdom, right? You can become wise without going to school. There's a lot of brilliantly wise people who don't have advanced degrees. And that's what Paul's talking about here. When he's talking about knowledge and wisdom and understanding, he's talking about the kind of knowledge that comes from knowing. You all were in seventh grade. How many kids are in here? There's a few. You all were in seventh grade one time. Remember when you were like Adam knew Eve and we all joked and laughed because it was funny and we were using Bible language to be a little bit crass? That's what they mean by no. Don't take it too far. But that's what they mean by no is an intimacy, a closeness, a, a, a being near. And so Paul wants you to know God, but it's not about knowing about God. It's about Living God is about being close to God. He says it over and over again. We haven't stopped praying for you and asking for you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all wisdom, with spiritual understanding. He goes on, says we're praying for you so that you can lead lives worthy of the Lord. How? By producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Because he talked earlier about there's a true message, good news, understood God's grace. So much no information in here. Because the people are going through hard times and they're looking for wisdom outside of Jesus to figure it out. And he's saying that is a fruitless endeavor. All the wisdom you need is right here in Jesus. But it's not information. It's transformational wisdom. It's about living close to Jesus. It's about getting down and rolling around in Jesus. It's not about learning more facts. It's about walking closely with Jesus, obeying him, living out his story, and learning his commandments. Right? Because most of us are educated beyond our level of obedience, which means you have more information than you do obedience to what Jesus is talking about. And Paul's trying to say, all the wisdom you need is a Jesus. You just got to get down and roll around in this Jesus thing. It reminds me of blues. My dad, I'm stealing a phrase from my dad. He's like, you don't just learn the blues. You got to live the blues. You got to get down and roll around in the blues. That's the line my dad. Not that he knew anything about blues, but he knew that. He knew that, and so I found someone who does. This is B.B. King, one of the great blues artists, talking about what makes good blues. Take a listen to Dr. King. Uh, hard times don't necessarily mean being poor all the time. I've known people that was a part of a family and always feel that the family likes everybody else but them. That hurts. And that's as deep a hurt as you can possibly get. I've known people that would have problems with their love life. This is kind of how blues began out of feeling misused, mistreated, feeling like they had nobody to turn to. The blues don't necessarily have to be sung by a person that came from Mississippi, as I did. 
because there are people having problems all over the world. His point is you don't have to be growing up in poverty. He says, somebody asked him, they're like, do you have to be poor to play the blues? He said, no, but it helps. I thought that was... But he says there's lots of pain in life. And it's when we tap into that pain and we let music be an expression of that pain that we can really play the blues. Like I could teach you to technically play some blues riffs, but man, if you're not tapping into the life that you have and the pain that comes with life, it's not going to have a lot of meaning to it. And I think Paul is getting at that here. He can give you a lot of information about Jesus, but there's a knowledge that comes from knowing. And he wants you to know. And when you know... You're not going to look other places for wisdom because they don't know. Jesus is God's wisdom for us, and he knows. He knows, and he's willing to help us and to give us that knowledge. We just got to walk with him. One more quote just like that is from School of Rock, right? The whole song is you're not hardcore unless you live hardcore. And then it ends with because the legend of the rent was way hardcore, and there's a way in which rent can make life hard, right? You got to choose your art or paying for your housing. That's when music gets good. That's what Paul's asking us is to live it. I went to seminary and I paid tens of thousands of dollars to learn a lot of information about Jesus. But the thing that made my professors wise was that they said, you can spend a lot of time talking about Jesus, but never growing closer to Jesus. So this house is holy for me because the school bought it, and they said, everybody who comes to the seminary has to be in a small group, and you have to share about your testimony of Christ working in your life every week if you want to go here. And so that basement window is where I sat with a group of guys and we confessed our sins and we shared our stories and we talked about our struggles and we talked about our victories and just the way we saw Jesus showing up because our professor said that if you only leave here with a head full of knowledge about Jesus, we failed you. We want you to know Jesus, understand, be wise in Jesus. And so that's not a classroom, it was a basement, but it was holy. It was church. And this is what Paul's getting us to, getting at us. Uh, about knowing God is more than knowing about God. Paul desires for you to grow in your knowledge of God, developing the wisdom that comes from walking with God, because the more you know the fullness of God, the less you desire the foolishness of the world. You won't have that crisis of faith every time you approach a crisis because you are rock steady in knowing that Jesus went through it and is wanting to help you go through it too. What does he want us to experience then? What's the heart point here? In that little sentence, he says he wants you to grow in the knowledge of God, and and he wants to strengthen you. He wants to give you strength in your struggles. That's what Jesus wants you to experience, his strength in your struggles. The passage we read said, by being strengthened through his glorious might. If you want a more literal translation from the NRSV, it says, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. I love it. Jesus wants us to be strong. Again, we're going to be tempted when we come to a present crisis to look for strength outside of Christ. And it's not that you can. It's not that we need people, right? He said in the beginning, your faith in God and your love of God's people. It's good to have community. But when you start looking for false senses of security and false promises of strength, Your faith in Jesus gets undermined. This strength doesn't come from you. Who does it come from? 
Jesus. That's the right answer. You, we were in Sunday school. Not your own strength. May you be made strong with the strength that comes from Jesus' glorious power. The source is outside of you. Jesus is infinitely strong and wants to make you strong. And one of the ways you do that is by knowing Jesus, by deeply walking with Jesus. Gen, Gen Z and Gen A is not going to understand this, but they, they kind of get it. Do you ever have to go out and turn the antenna? Yeah? Because it's 1994 and Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding are going to ice skate. And somebody's got to f- make it clearer. It's also 1994 and O.J. Simpson's running in his white Bronco. I just remember, yeah, somebody's feeling me out there. I don't know. And I'm missing it because I'm out turning it. And my grandparents slash parents are like, whoa, but I already went too far. The strength doesn't come from my house. The signal strength is what I'm trying to tap into. Not trying to generate my own strength. I'm just trying to tap into the strong strength that's, where was it coming from, Chico? Sometimes Redding. You get those Redding commercials, right? We treat your feet. Okay, listen. (laughs) Some local lore. Similar. This is where the kids do get it. Cell phones. I used to have AT&T, and I could get anything anywhere. And I was like, I'm going to save a few bucks. And I moved to T-Mobile, and now basically this thing doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I don't know what happened. It's an expensive brick. I thought, well, I'm going to save some money. I'm sure I'll get less good quality, but I'm going to save a lot of money. Why am I spending so much money on this nightmare brick? And basically, now I pay for a subscription that doesn't even work. I don't understand what's happening because we're trying to tap into the strength that's already there, right? Not generate our own strength. This is what Paul is talking to us about. I could go even deeper. Like, I don't understand informationally how Wi-Fi works at all, but I know if I'm in the back corner of my room, I don't get it. But if I move five feet closer, I do get it, right? I don't understand the information of it, but I know that deep in my bones how to get Wi-Fi in my house. And I'm not trying to generate my own strength. I'm trying to tap into the strength of the thing that's already there. Paul wants us to know and experience Jesus' strength. That's sourced from himself, not from ourself. That comes from being near Jesus, not from just you having to muster it up, nose to the grindstone, figure it out, but just being near the source of infinite strength. And just like the Colossians, you're going to be tempted to look for strength and help elsewhere. And I'm not saying we, I mean, we need to have people that we can rely on. But at the end of the day and at the end of ourselves, Paul wants us to keep Jesus in our heart and in our minds when it comes to weathering life's storms because Jesus is greater than our present circumstances and wants to help us get through them. What does God want us to do then? What are we supposed to do with that in mind and in heart? What do we do with our hands? The pain you patiently endure today leads to the godly life that you'll enjoy tomorrow. What Paul wants us to do is learn to endure with patience, which is not at all the answer that I want. And this is why Christianity is sometimes a hard sell. 
Because there's a lot of people promising you solutions, but they aren't real. But we want them to be real. It'd be a lot easier if they were real. But becoming human, having the best possible human existence, means following Jesus. And Jesus taught us that there's no way out but through. There's not a way around most of life's hard difficulties. And learning to patiently endure through the difficulties of life is going to make you holier by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to help you be more conformed to the image of Jesus. This is what he did, right? Patiently endured. Even the worst, most shameful, most horrific death, also that the Lord would exalt him. Paul wants us to endure patiently. He says it. After you're strengthened through his glorious might, you get that so that you can endure everything and have patience. And after that patience, you can give thanks to God with joy. The joy-filled life you want later is determined by the amount that you can impatiently endure right now. And Jesus wants to help you do that. And you're going to be tempted to try to go around and try to get shortcuts. But life's hard and no one escapes suffering. And Jesus can help you through and have joy on the other side. To patiently endure towards joy. As I said, no one, no one escapes suffering. We think we can and you can't. But Jesus can help us through. He can help us develop patient endurance that helps fight Bitterness and quitterness, and quitterness is not a word, but it has to rhyme. It has to. But those really are the options, right? You can get bitter or you can quit. And I know a lot of people who give up on themselves. They quit on themselves and they quit on their families and they quit on their life and they just zombie their way through or they get angry and mean and mad and grumpy and Jesus says, there's a better way, learning to patiently endure. And on the other side of cross is life, and on the other side of endurance is joy. This is a man's story who I, I, I read about it, I've read about it, I talk about it in my class. I teach some classes at Chico State, sociology. He was wrongfully convicted when he was 19 years old of murder. Wasn't anywhere around the murder, um, but he went to jail for it anyways, because they needed someone to go to jail. And so he went to jail for it. 26 years later, somebody looked at his case and let him out of prison. He was going for life. 26 years later, this is him getting the news that he gets to go home. When asked how he survived being wrongfully convicted for 25 years, went when he was 19, got out when he was 45. How did you survive every day knowing you were there innocently, but there was nothing you can do? He said, I credit two things. My mama. It's good to have a good mom, right? And Jesus. Here's a video clip of him talking about one of the ways that he endured. And he says right at the beginning, I had a decision to make. I could be, act like a lifer, someone who was in there for life, right? That's bitter or quitter. Or I could do something different. And he said, I chose something different. Here's his testimony about this. I had to make a willful choice. Was I going to act like a life? 
and use the situation to better myself. And the first step I did was get in the Bible. I used to read every day one scripture, one verse. I would deliver him and honor him because he set his love upon me. And with long life will I satisfy him. See, he would deliver me, deliver my here first, and then deliver me out of prison. But I had to sit, set my love, I had to love him, and that's what I did. That comes from a documentary from BBC. It's on YouTube. It's great. Right? I could, I could act like a lifer, give up, get angry, or I could use this situation to better myself. And so the first thing I did was I got into the Bible. And he said his life verse in there was Psalm 91, 4, right? That God will deliver me if I set my love on him. First here, right? He had no hope of getting out, but just a mindset of deliverance and freedom was the first step. I think this is what Paul's talking to us about when it comes to endurance, patiently enduring. There's just some ways in which we're going to be tempted to think we can go around, but we've got to go through. And Jesus wants to help us, to give us his strength that comes from his glorious might and the intimacy and connection of being close to Jesus so that we can weather all of life storms, whatever it is. It's probably not falsely imprisoned, but we all got our own worst problems, and our own worst problems need Jesus to help us get through them. And Paul's trying to help us avoid becoming bitter or become a quitter and help us to be a fighter. Not that we're fighting other people. Please listen, don't fight anybody. But we're fighting through. We're fighting ourselves. We're fighting the demons that we inherited and real demons. But we can learn to endure and persevere patiently so that we can reach the joy on the other side. Paul thinks that when you know Jesus and tap into his strength, you can patiently endure all life's battles and come out the other side with a life of gratitude and joy not on your own strength, but because Jesus has redeemed you and set you free and offers his strength in the struggle. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to send them. Somebody, send me, uh, somebody sent me sermon points. You should have said, don't get bitter, get better. I thought about it. <laughs> I was worried about saying that. I, I was worried people would hear, try harder. But it is a good line. I almost used it. I almost used it. Thank you. I take any sermon point you want to give me. Well, here's my summary, and then we're going to wrap up and head into a time of communion. Thanks for the text. Jesus is greater than all our present problems. All of them. Every one of them. In fact, part of the reason I'm a pastor is because I believe that the answer to all of life's problems is Jesus. And I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that as a cliche genuinely believe all the world's problems and all of our life problems can be solved by Jesus. We will be tempted to believe the wisdom of the world. But Paul says the solution is the knowledge of God. And Paul tells us the answers lie in our growing in, growing in the knowledge of God, tapping in Jesus' strength for the struggles, and embracing endurance as the key to enjoying godly life with gratitude. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for this, this text, this holy scripture. Would you help us to chew on it this week? There was something that was comforting. Help it to comfort us. 
that you are near and you desire to be near us. Help us to experience that, to live that, to taste that a little bit. Father, if it's strength that we need and you want us to have, we're here. We know we need your strength. That is why we're here. Let our presence here be our prayer and pleading that we want and desire your strength because we are tired of walking in our own strength. And Lord, if there are battles you need us to endure, we definitely need your help. I know that that's true because that is not what I want to hear. But help me to hear it anyways. That endurance leads to joy and you're here to help me every step of the way. May it be so. May I experience that. Would your Holy Spirit be in us and in these elements now as we come to this table so that we may experience your closeness, communion with you, we may experience your strength, we may experience your patience and power. And as we come to this table, we come with expectant hearts to receive what it is you have for us. Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.